I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You can you stay categorically? You are fake news. Sir, Go ahead. can you stay categorically that nobody... No, Mr. President-elect, that's not appropriate. Yeah. It might not be appropriate, but get used to it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it's not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Mm, a little. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Out in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week on those fine affiliates and many others. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com says me thank you for joining us today for what will undoubtedly be another thrilling action-packed adventure that we call america 2016 (laughs) whether we like it or not actually america 2017 oh damn see already and i had (laughs) it you just want to go back in time to the good old days uh, maybe i do i don't know i already have a a correction that i was going to do at the top of the show but now you've topped that already have a correction before then so you're right 2017 don't be alarmed or maybe you should be that voice you heard was desi doyan our producer also my co-host on the green news report which we have one of which coming up soon Ooh, grammar a little bit later in the uh in the program uh concerning a whole bunch of stuff uh president obama's appeal to reason on climate in his farewell address and uh, of course exxon mobil ceo rex tillerson uh, and the grilling that he got concerning climate change during his Senate confirmation hearings and much more in our Green News report today. But uh, and maybe we'll have some more thoughts later on Rex Tillerson. But something's going on, Desi Doyen, with with Tillerson's nomination. He yeah, he was supposed to have a second day of confirmation hearings on Thursday. Right. Those were canceled. Yep. Do, do we know why? No official word on anything yet. So, no, there's no, there's lots of uh, speculation about what might be going on. One of those speculations being that, oh, he did so badly, and Republicans who are Russia hawks are so not interested in anyone who has good relationships with Russia that maybe that's why they pulled him to retool so he'll do better in his next day, I guess, maybe, but we don't know. Uh, Marco Rubio was said to be unhappy that Tillerson wouldn't declare Vladimir Putin a war criminal in this hearing. Ah, yes. uh, there was, uh, and and that could be why there's this 
seeming hold at this point. The panel uh, that he spoke before the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations is comprised of 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats. And so it would just take one, like Rubio, who, by the way, has a, uh, uh, a good reason to want to uh, get back at Donald Trump. Uh, if Rubio votes against Tillerson, that would be enough to kill Tillerson's uh uh, appointment, at least in committee, they can work around that. They can bring it to the full floor of the Senate of yes. the uh, of the Senate. But that could be why, because it's 11 Republicans, 10 Democrats. If they lose one Republican, that's it. His uh, he will be rejected in that committee. So um, anyway, uh, and I've had some other thoughts on Tillerson that, uh, believe it or not, he may be the best option. Uh, for Secretary of State under Donald which Trump. Which is a shocking thought. Which, but that's how low the bar has gotten. Well, and when you consider what the other options might be. Exactly. But we don't have time for that now <laughs> because uh, we got a bunch to get to today, including the fact, uh, this breaking news, the uh, U.S. House just gave final approval for speedy action to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And that puts Congress on track, as the New York Times reports, to undo the most significant health care law in half a century. This uh, they still have, however, no plan to replace it. Uh, and there was we talked about it uh, quite a bit on yesterday's uh, show. It, it, the Republicans don't know how to replace it. And they're going to face the fact that they're going to uh, kick some 20 million Americans off of health insurance unless they come up with a better idea. In the meantime, the New York Press notes in their uh, New York Times notes in their report uh, this sentence. Uh, Republicans have repeatedly pledged to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Now they say they are intent on keeping their promise to Americans who have been crushed by soaring premiums and other intended effects of the law. Now, uh, some premiums have gone up. How much it had to do with uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare is unclear, unknown, and uh, perhaps not related at all to the fact that, you know, these are people who uh, had many of many millions of which had no health care coverage at all before. So the fact that New York Times sort of passes on that comment uncritically that they have been crushed by soaring premiums and that it is an effect of the law. Uh, this kind of underscores, frankly, my continuing, my decade-long-plus uh, problem that I have with the uh, U.S. media and their failure to get facts right. Along those lines, we're going to be talking about the press here shortly with my guest, but uh, getting facts right is important to me, so I want to uh, do this correction. Uh, yesterday, in my interview with First Amendment champion and Hustler magazine publisher Larry Flint, I misreported that Oliver Stone directed the film The People versus Larry Flint. My thanks to our friend D.R. Tucker for tweeting in today that it was actually Milos Forman who directed that award-winning film. In fact, Forman won the Golden Globe Award for directing the uh, that 1996 film with Woody Harrelson as Larry Flint. Uh, and as Flint told me yesterday... Uh, playing him better than he plays himself. So uh, you can see bradblog.com for that interview. My apologies for that error. Um, wanted to put that up front. We put our corrections up front whenever possible. Um, we'll also, by the way, later on in the show, if we have time, I hope we do, uh, a literal, a literal cover-up by Trump's inauguration team. 
We'll have the evidence for that later. And frankly, it stinks. Okay. Uh, Before I get to uh, my guest here, I want to point out this piece from uh, John uh, uh, Broich, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's an historian, an associate professor at Case Western University. I've been trying to get him on the program, haven't been able to so far. But he wrote a, uh, a piece about normalizing fascists. It starts this way. How to report on a fascist. How to cover the rise of a political leader who's left a paper trail of anti-constitutionalism, racism, and the encouragement of violence. Does the press take the position that its subject acts outside the norms of society? Or does it take the position that someone who wins a fair election is, by definition, normal? Because his leadership reflects the will of the people. These are questions Brioche notes uh, that confronted the U.S. press after the ascendance of fascist leaders in Italy and Germany in the 1920s and 1930s. And uh, Brioche or Broish, I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name. Actually, um, this was published at um, originally at The Conversation. It was republished by Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, under the uh, under the headline, How Journalists Covered the Rise of Mussolini and Hitler, and the remarkably understated uh, subheadline, Reports on the Rise of Fascism in Europe, was not the America was not the American media's finest hour. Neither is it the American media's finest hour now. Uh, as uh, 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 Broich's report ends here, I want to read the last uh, few paragraphs in this because he points to a lot of, uh, frankly, startling parallels between the way Mussolini, the rise and election of Mussolini was covered, the rise and election of Hitler was covered, uh, and the way the U.S. media, going back to you know a lot of papers that are still around, uh, the New Yorker, New York Times, Uh, And so forth. A lot of uh, Washington Post, the way they covered Hitler's rise. Uh, And he didn't even need to compare it to the way the U.S. media is covering Trump now because it kind of speaks for itself. The the last few paragraphs here I want to read to you. Uh, He writes, journalists at the time were aware that they could only criticize the German regime so much. Uh, and still maintain their access to it. When a CBS broadcaster's son was beaten up by Hitler's brown shirts for not saluting the Fuhrer, he didn't report it. When the Chicago Daily News' Edgar Moyer wrote that Germany was becoming, quote, an insane asylum in 1933, the Germans pressured the State Department to rein in American reporters. Alan Dulles, who eventually became the director of the CIA, told Moyer... He was, quote, taking the German situation too seriously. Moyer's publisher then transferred him out of Germany in fear of his life. By the later 1930s, most journalists realized their mistake in underestimating Hitler or failing to imagine just how bad things could get. Dorothy Thompson, who, as New York Post's Berlin bureau chief at the time, judged Hitler a man of, quote, startling insignificance, in 1928, but she realized her mistake by mid-decade when she, like Moyer, began raising the alarm. No people ever recognize their dictator in advance, she reflected in 1935. He never stands for election on the platform of dictatorship. He always represents himself as the instrument of the incorporated national will. Applying the lesson to the U.S., she wrote at the time, 
when our dictator turns up, you can depend on it that he will be one of the boys and he will stand for everything traditionally American. Somewhat chilling. Uh, you can uh, you can check out that uh, full report at uh, at SmithsonianMag.com, uh, or just look up "normalizing fascists." Although you might get a whole bunch of hits at this rate uh, w- with that search. In any event, it it raises a lot of uh, questions and uh, suggests that the media have not learned a whole hell of a lot. And with the press conference that took place on Wednesday, Donald Trump's uh, press conference, bizarre, insane press conference, uh, it raises the question of whether they have learned anything at all or if uh, we are in for a lot of the same that we have seen in the past. Not just uh, in the past in the Bush years, but in the past in the Mussolini and Hitler years, perhaps. I'm going to talk about that and much more with my guest and media critic Matt Gertz right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We haven't had much time this week with everything else that has been going on to talk specifically about the insane bizarre, embarrassing press conference that Donald Trump held on Wednesday, his first in, I believe, something like 167 days. It came one day, just the day after CNN had broke the news uh, that the U.S. intelligence chiefs who had briefed Donald Trump last Friday, uh, we are told, with evidence that Russia, uh, evidence of Russia meddling in the U.S. election, Uh, that those uh, intelligence chiefs had also warned him about this document from a former British intelligence agent charging that Russia had compromising personal and financial information, including allegedly lurid video, against Donald Trump. Now, the documents that the intel chiefs reportedly briefed Trump about uh, that is still an unsubstantiated report said to be from a former British MI6 agent originally said to have commissioned been commissioned by the Jeb Bush campaign last year. But this report has been floating around largely unreported by media outlets for months because they were unable to uh, substantiate it. Uh, and then the documents, the full 35-page uh, document that you've probably seen, certainly heard about by now, was released in full by BuzzFeed News after CNN's story broke on Tuesday night and before the press conference on Wednesday. Now, it likely would have been a crazy press conference anyway, but it certainly got even crazier in the wake of all of this after Trump called out CNN and BuzzFeed News as both fake news outlets. Here was the exchange when CNN's Jim Acosta tried 
and uh, to his credit, tried mightily to ask Trump about the charges. Since you're attacking us, can you give us a question? Since you're, no, Mr. President-elect, Mr. President-elect, since you are attacking no, our news not organization, you. Not can you. you give us a chance? Your organization You are attacking our news organization. organization. Can you give us a chance Let's to go. ask a question, sir? Go ahead. Sir, can Quiet. you state, Mr. President-elect, go ahead. can you state categorically, Mr. President-elect, can you give us a question? Don't be rude. You're attacking us. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. Can you give us a question? I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You can you stay categorically? You are fake news. Sir, Go ahead. can you stay categorically that nobody... No, Mr. President-elect, that's not Go appropriate. Ahead. Our fake news, says the president-elect to CNN's correspondent Jim Acosta there at that press conference, and you heard the applause thereafter. Writing at Media Matters, Senior fellow Matt Gertz noted in response to the entire news conference that uh, Wednesday's press conference laid bare President-elect Donald Trump's strategy for dealing with the press as president. He will seek to uh, delegitimize news outlets that provide critical coverage, try to turn them against one another, reward sycophantic coverage from openly pro-Trump sources, and encourage others to follow in their lead. In one day, Gertz writes, we saw Trump publicly punish members of the press for critical reporting, threaten one outlet with consequences, quote, consequences for its actions and calling on another to apologize. To thank members, he thanked members of the press who behaved in a way that he found appropriate. And he took a question from an outlet tied to his top aide about what reforms he wanted to see from the press. We saw Trump aides publicly humiliate and jeer at reporters. We saw one news outlet respond to Trump's criticism by throwing another under the bus. We saw journalists treat the attacks on the press as a sideshow while praising Trump's performance, and we saw a U.S. congressman call for a reporter's firing for being, quote, disrespectful to the president-elect. Other than that, it was a totally normal news conference. Joining us now to talk about the the specifics and what all of this means and what, if any, responsibility the media have in all of this and exactly what we are looking down the barrel of over the next uh one, two, four, eight years is Matt Gertz of Media Matters for America. He's a senior fellow there, and he served as the organization's research director during the 2016 election. Matt Gertz, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Happy to have you here. Okay, so this uh, pre- press conference was insane. We we could have expected that. We could have seen. We did see that coming down the road. But I want to look at uh, some of the specific concerns you had, and then talk specifically about some of the uh, media's responsibility in all of this. Because as much as uh, you guys are, you know, certainly critical, deservedly so, of Trump in this case, Media Matters also spends a lot of time being critical of. The media of the U.S. corporate media. And so I want to talk about what you know responsibility they bear in this. But let's go through this a little bit uh, be, before the uh, before Trump even took the stage. You note in your article, uh, both uh, Sean Spicer, the uh, who will be the White House press secretary and vice president elect Mike Pence. Uh, they already started punching media in the face before Trump even got there. Yeah, I think that's important to realize that it, it, this was not something that came out of nowhere. It's not like all of a sudden Donald Trump was attacking CNN. This mm-hmm. was clearly the strategy going into the press conference to attack BuzzFeed, to attack CNN, to tie the two of them together, uh, and to uh, suggest that uh, all of their reporting was illegitimate and to use that as a cudgel 
to uh, present the rest of the media as being similarly uh, biased in some way, or at least to raise that fear among among Trump's supporters. Um, they went into this knowing that um, they had built up this very strong relationship with their supporters by doing this, mm-hmm. by attacking the media over and over again at every uh, event that Trump would do. You know, he would point back uh, to the uh, reporters who were mm-hmm. uh, crowded into a press pen, uh, and he would attack them and say that they were disgusting and say that they were animals and call them out by name. Uh, and that created actually a, a very dangerous situation for some of those reporters. Um, you know, you have cases of some of them needing to be escorted to their cars by the Secret Service, uh, some of them, you know, taking video of, of, of like, swastikas being waved at them mm. uh, d- while they were trying to work. I mean, this was sort of what Trump fed on during the election. And now I think we're seeing they're not going to stop with that. It's not like that was campaign Trump and there's going to be a new President Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to go on trying to delegitimize the media one by one, piece by piece, um, to make it impossible uh, for anyone to try to get uh, get out n- critical uh, news and analysis about what his administration is doing. This is the first step, and it's going to keep getting worse. And I think it's important that you note it was a group effort. It wasn't just Trump going off the reservation, that this happened before he even got there with uh, his spokesperson and his, uh, his vice president. Uh, he did, once uh, Trump came up, he did thank the members of the uh, media who, quote, came out so strongly against that fake news and the fact that it was written about by primarily one group and one television station. So who, do you have any idea who he was talking to there? Was was this a part of a strategy to turn them all against each other? I know the New York Times came out uh, quite strongly uh, by saying, uh, after CNN's report, saying that these uh, these reports are unsubstantiated, that they've been known about for many months by journalists and, and politicians, but they are unsubstantiated. Do, do you get a sense? And, and they are correct. They are currently unsubstantiated, and those charges include some errors and so forth. Is that what he, who he was talking about there, New York Times? And was that part of the strategy to, to turn the media against each other? I think that's definitely the strategy. Uh, there, there are two things really happening here. One, uh, Trump and um, his entire sort of uh, circle has been desperately trying to tie together the CNN report, which is uh, very, very strong, with what BuzzFeed did. So what CNN did is they reported, based on several different sources, which were subsequently corroborated by other news sources, Mm -hmm. that these top intelligence officials gave this briefing to President Obama, to Trump, uh, which indicated that there are Russian operatives who claim to have this compromising personal and financial information about Trump, um, and that uh, Trump's uh, sort of allies were in constant communication mm-hmm. with the Russians during the election. Um, and to, and to, to be clear, so, they, they didn't report, CNN did not report these things were true. They were reporting that the intelligence chiefs told Trump that this report exists, whether it's true or not, correct? Correct. And so really the news behind that was that the intelligence chiefs believed that this was an important enough piece of information, that, it was, that they believed that it was credible enough, some parts of it at least, uh, to present. Now, what they ended up presenting was a two-page synthesis mm-hmm. of these 35 pages of memos 
from a former British intelligence officer. We don't know which parts of those 35 pages of memos mm-hmm. uh, that the intelligence community uh, believes are credible. We know that the, uh, it's been reported that they, they believe that the intelligence officer himself has a very good reputation, uh, but, you know, this is, he's dealing in raw intelligence. So some of it could be true, some of it could be not true, uh, and we don't really know how the intelligence community has come down on particular parts of it. So what CNN did there was was uh, some fairly substantial journalism that basically basically what they proved was um, this information was conveyed to the highest levels, and that suggests that there's some credibility to some of it. What BuzzFeed did was a, quite different. What BuzzFeed did was they took all of the memos and said, we've been trying to investigate uh, and corroborate these memos uh, for months. We haven't been able to do so, but now... CNN is discussing them, uh, you know, publicly. They, they clearly have been sort of uh, conveyed to the top levels of U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, journalism and, pol- and politicians, and therefore we're just going to publish them all and let, um, let the audience sort of decide what they think of them. They, they were sort of, they were very different um, strategies and ways of handling this story. Uh, and there was a lot of criticism of what BuzzFeed did were they, because were, they hadn't corroborated uh, the information. What, 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 what's your thoughts on that, Matt? Were they right to release that information? Because the argument, at least as I see it from a journalistic point of view, is that uh, the news here was initially that CNN uh, you know, was able to accurately, apparently, report that the intelligence chiefs had explained this 35-page document in some fashion to Donald Trump. And then rather than speculating about it, BuzzFeed said, here is the document. We can't tell you, we can't corroborate this, but here is the document that Trump was briefed on. So were they correct? And it had salacious, you know, explosive uh, allegations, all unsubstantiated in them. But were they right to release that material to the public as you see it? I'm going to be entirely honest here. I go back and forth on this quite mm-hmm. a lot. Um, you know, obviously you want journalists to be verifying the information that they lay out. On the other hand, this is a document that is circulating at the highest levels of government that every journalist in town seems to have seen. The only people that haven't seen it are the American public. Uh, so at that point, you know, you have to question whether there is some value in people being able to see a document like that. Um, you know, I, I think that it's a tough call. I've seen some commentators be very critical of that decision. I've seen others say, look, I mean, in national security journalism, often what you're doing is hoping that your sources are right anyway, so and hoping that they're not playing you, and you can't really verify a lot of what's going on anyway. So, you know, how, how does this necessarily differ from that? Well, I, think, I think it's a complicated question, yeah. and I think that it's the question that, you know, Donald Trump would prefer us to spend a lot of time on, because the more time we're spending sort of uh, discussing the journalistic ethics and implications of it, mm-hmm. the less time we're spending dealing with the fact that, uh, like, the, the, you know, top people in the U.S. intelligence community are giving, this do- giving like, portions of this document to the President of the United States and the President-elect that, with making these, you know, very, mm-hmm. very serious allegations. Um, well, then let's, know, I, let's, let's not please Donald Trump. Let's not for the moment then uh, talk about that aspect and, 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 and go back to because I'm yeah, I go back and forth on it as well. I've been uh, critical, frankly, of a lot of the reporting on the entire Russian situation that, you know, they've 
they've uh, the media has been happy to report the conclusions, but they haven't actually shared evidence uh, and not on these salacious claims, but on the, the other claims, the hacking and so forth. Uh, and, and I don't believe the media has been nearly as uh, tough on uh, the officials, frankly, who are leaking this material without gi- giving us evidence to support it. But let me put that aside for the moment, unless you have some thoughts, because I want to I want to look at, you know, I thought Acosta did a great job in trying, at least, to get in a, a response to Donald Trump in that audio that we played at the top. Uh, but you, you argue that the press um, did nothing uh, in response to Trump's attack on Costa, Acosta. What, what should the press have done at that point? And, and doesn't that seem to speak to their failure as opposed to Trump's in this case, that they didn't do it? They, did, they didn't take action. Oh, I, you know, I think it, it definitely is, does speak to their failure. Um, you know, back in January, Donald Trump bragged on the campaign trail that he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and he sh- could shoot somebody mm-hmm. and he wouldn't lose voters. And, you know, rhetorically speaking, that's basically what he did to Jim Acosta. Um, he basically took him out in front of the entire press mm. corps, humiliated him pretty brutally, um, and then sort of went about his business, mm. and other reporters just sort of moved along, and they would, and, and they went on, and they asked their questions, and they just sort of kept going. Um, you know, they could have refused to ask any questions until, like, basically demanded that CNN get an opportunity to speak. Uh, they could have pushed back against Trump attacking a media outlet, you know, mm. asking him straight up, well, what do you think it says about your commitment to the First Amendment mm-hmm. that you are lashing out at CNN as fake news in your first press conference, you know, in a, as president-elect. I mean, that just seems wildly inappropriate. So they uh, could have taken that position. They, they could have taken... They, yeah. they, it's, it's tricky, right, because they need to take be able to take collective action mm-hmm. without playing into everything that Trump has been saying uh, about how the press is out to get him. You, and you're right. Uh, they could have... They could have taken the opportunity, you're, you're right, to say, uh, you know, why shouldn't Jim Acosta be able to ask you a question? Why, and, and, but had they done that, Matt Gertz, mm-hmm. um, they had, uh, yeah, they had who I'm, who I'm going to sort of call uh, Donald Trump's Jeff Gannon at this point. They, they turned to Matt Boyle of Breitbart.com. Uh, you report that he was the only uh, reporter, and I'm putting re- the word reporter in air quotes at this point, uh, uh, Matt Boyle. Uh, he was the only one. He was he was the only one who had a seat reserved in the front, in the center. Uh, I've had some experience with this uh, clown, Matt Boyle, over the years. I suspect you have too. Do you, you want to tell us who Matt Boyle is? Matt Boyle is uh, a reporter, and I think air quotes are appropriate here for <laughs> Breitbart.com. Yeah. Uh, Breitbart is, of course, the uh, conservative website that is run by Stephen Bannon, who is going to be uh, Trump's like top aide in the White House. So it's, it's basically a house organ for, it was basically a house organ for the Trump campaign mm-hmm. uh, during the campaign. Uh, staff there reportedly believed that uh, the, that their uh, coverage was so funny that they must have been getting money from him. Nobody knows if that's true or not. Um, but certainly, if it isn't, like, well, you can't you're, really you're, tell you're, the difference between whether or not uh, what, what a Breitbart that had received money from Donald Trump would look like and what the Breitbart that we have looks like. 
Uh, Boyle himself is, is an incredibly sycophantic character who clearly is a huge fan of Donald Trump, was at times during the campaign openly bragging about the job that he was going to get in Trump's White House, mm. which is a very strange thing for a reporter to do. Um, you know, he is you know, clearly more or less an advocate, not a journalist. And so the question that, that uh, he goes and asks, given the opportunity, um, is not, you know, a serious question about Trump's policies or history or whatever, but it's the decision to publish fake news and all the problems that we've seen throughout the media over the course of the election. What reforms do you recommend for this industry here? So he's basically taking Trump's side against the assembled press, saying BuzzFeed and CNN published fake news um, and asking for Trump to like come up with ways to fix it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And asking what 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 are going to be your reforms uh, for the for the media? Uh, and I want to talk about I'm, I'm speaking with Matt Gertz. Uh, senior fellow at Media Matters uh, about this press conference on uh, Wednesday, this insane press conference. Matt Boyle, I should note, um, he he was actually let go from Tucker Carlson's Daily Caller some years ago uh, for terrible reporting, getting it wrong and a whole bunch of stories. Just to give you some idea, he wasn't even good enough for Tucker Carlson at that point. It reminds me of, uh, as I mentioned, Jeff Gannon. Uh, do, you, do you remember him, uh, Matt Gertz, do, from yeah. the Bush years? Uh, so Donald Trump was able to turn, even if the media had uh, all stuck together, it seems like he's got his own people. He's got his own plants that he can rely on, uh, like a Jeff Gannon. Do you want to remind us who Jeff Gannon is, uh, if you can reach back that far to the Bush years? Jeff Gannon was a reporter for a news outlet that was called Talon News. This was back in 2004 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was basically the lifeline in the White House press corps. Anytime Artie Fleischer would get into trouble, or I think Scott McClellan possibly at the time, uh, would get into trouble uh, with some sort of difficult question, they'd call on this guy, Scott Gannon. And, you know, for a while, everyone was really confused about why there was this person writing for this outlet that no one had ever heard of. Uh, who was in the you know in in the White House, uh, you know, getting questions answered uh, by the White House press secretary, and it turns out, if I recall correctly, so that was that was a that was not his real name. Yeah, no, it was his name. His real name it was it was, um, it was Guckert, I think was his actual name. Yeah. And, and, there were some, uh, I believe, there were some salacious details about his previous employment um, for an escort know, he, service or something like that at the time. Yeah, nobody had yeah. known where this guy came from, and I, I, we still really don't. He was sort of clearly a plant. And he sort of dropped off the map yeah. after all of that went public. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is this is what we're going to see going forward. There's going to be a couple of different categories of journalists that Trump deals with. There's going to be the total sycophant plants, people like uh, people like Matt Boyle and Breitbart. Um, there's this other uh, outlet called One American News Network, which mm-hmm. was also given the opportunity to ask a question during this press conference. Uh, there's, a, there's this uh, web outfit called Right Side Broadcasting Network, which mm-hmm. has been called the unofficial version of Trump TV. They're going to start being in the White House press briefings. I mean, you know, we could see some really... Uh, the, the 
the White House uh, Press Association has has pretty lax rules on on who they let in, and I think that's good. I mean, I think you should have uh, you know news outlets of all of all types should have access to uh, the White House and public officials. But I, I think we're going to see people like Alex Jones take on an increasingly powerful role in American public life. Alex right. Jones is, of course, a yeah. crazy conspiracy theorist who, you know, well, <laughs> thinks that the government is behind basically everything. And, and so we're, we're going to see Trump lift these people up and give them access mm-hmm. Uh, and deny access to people who produce more critical reporting. And that was, um, uh, you know, when we were talking about uh, Matt Boyle and his question, you know, what, how, how should all of this be? Uh, what reforms do we need for the media? Trump responded he didn't uh, support reforms, just reporters who have some moral compass. I guess he was talking about guys like Sean Hannity at Fox News. He had Rudy Giuliani Giuliani on, uh, who I think has also now been given uh, some sort of role in the uh, Trump administration or the Trump transition. Uh, Here was their exchange about this press conference and about the way Trump went after CNN's uh, Jim Acosta. They were just giddy about it. I thought this was a pretty big beatdown for the whole country to see yesterday. This was a great thing that he did. It is refreshing and it is very good for our democracy that we have a president that is trying to get us back to a free press. Is this indicative <laughs> of what's going to happen in the next four to eight years? Yeah, but I think he's going to win this battle. Uh, he's an honest man, so they're not going to catch him in some kind of lie or something like that. And uh, he's, he's got the courage to fight him back. Yeah. And the American people have caught on to it. So I think that this is going to be very helpful. I think maybe... Maybe he he may actually reestablish journalistic ethics. You know, uh, okay, uh, a big beatdown for the country uh, th- to see. That's a good thing to get us back to a free press by shutting them down. This will be helpful. Matt Gertz, your article is uh, appropriately headlined in one day, 17 signs of how bad press treatment will be under Trump. I see no sign that the media actually understand what they are now up against uh, with the Donald Trump administration. Uh, you write that in The Washington Post, uh, they reported that Trump had, quote, a decent press conference in which they, quote, remarkably, in which remarkably he offered kind words for news organizations. A decent press conference? Uh, And and Politico, by the way, was no better. For most people who watched Trump yesterday, you write, it was a pretty good, or they write, it was a pretty good performance. A good performance, a decent press conference, Matt Gertz. I don't think the media uh, have learned much of anything yet at this point. Am I wrong? Uh, No, I think you're absolutely right. I think that clip uh, that you just played is very appropriate and kind of gives the game away. Um, you know, I am a progressive media critic. Progressive media critics generally think that the media does some things wrong, and when they do things that are wrong, they should be corrected, and that there are some structural impediments to getting uh, good news coverage in this country. Um, conservative media cri- criticism says that reporters are terrible people who should be destroyed, uh, in, unless they can be sort of bent to the will of people like Donald Trump. I mean, that is effectively what... Newt Gingrich was saying there, or sorry, what what Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani was saying there. Yeah. I mentioned I mentioned Newt Gingrich because Newt Gingrich uh, went uh, went on Hannity's show the night before and said, "You don't have to think of the New York Times or CNN or any of these people as news organizations. They're mostly propaganda organizations." Mm. 
Uh, and he suggested that rather than taking these questions from these adversarial reporters, Trump start flying in reporters from out of town who will be more courteous and responsible. Um, so, I mean, that's really what's going on here. Paging uh, Jeff Cannon again. I, yeah, fly him these in. Are your, these are your options. Yes. You can either get on board and you can be like Matt Boyle, yep. uh, and you, you can be, you can be a, a good reporter who just stays in your lane and lets Trump walk all over you, or you can be Jim Acosta and you can be crushed on national television in front of millions of people. Now, Those are the options available. Now, not to blame the victim here in this case, but how much of this is brought on by the media themselves, either by by their own bad reporting, and there has been a lot of it, or otherwise uh, uh, being docile you know, and compliant, and, and not just during the, the past year, during the 2016 presidential campaign, but frankly for so many years prior. And you guys have documented a lot of this over the past at, at MediaMatters.org, uh, you know, over the past two administrations. Uh, it was particularly bad, I should say, during the Bush era. Um, you know, so how much of this are they are they just to blame for themselves because they have not stood up in all of this time? They have proven that they can be sort of pushed around by uh, by thugs and 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 nobody will do anything about it. Well, I, th- I think they need to figure out a way to do something about it pretty fast. I mean, they have tools and weapons at their disposal that they've used before. They used they were happy during the Obama administration to push back when, you know, things like white like photographers weren't given enough access to White House events or uh, there's this one instance where um, a Fox pooler didn't get access to an interview session in Treasury, and the rest of the press rose up together and said, this is inappropriate, we won't allow it, this must stop. Uh, and the Obama administration basically caved to that pretty quickly. Um, now, I don't know if the Trump administration is as likely to respond to that. My, my guess is that they are not, because they honestly don't care about the role of the free press and are not really worried if journalists are mad at them uh, or, or if, you know, the, the role of the uh, media in, in U.S. society is curtailed in some way. Uh, but they have to try, right? That's really all they can do at this point, because what's going to happen at some point is you're going to see, um, and, you know, Gingrich is already suggesting this, yeah, he suggested with Acosta, you know, give him a 60-day ban. He's not allowed in any Trump events for the next 60 days, you know, because he was a bad boy, wow. he gets punished. Um, wow. And, you know, that's going to happen eventually. So the Trump campaign did this all the time. They banned the Des Moines Register uh, because the editorial board uh, mm-hmm. came out against Donald Trump. Uh, they kicked New York Times reporters out of events. They banned... Uh, Several news outlets from reporting altogether on the campaign. Um, this is what they do, and there's no reason to think that they won't do it while Donald Trump is president. And then the press is going to have to make a call. I, uh, just, They're going to have to make a call. Are they going to do something about it together, or are they just going to let it happen, roll over, and wait for it to happen to do, them next? Do you see any signs they are going to do anything about it, Matt? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look good right now. It doesn't look good after that press conference. Um, you know. Uh, we're going to keep shouting and hope that they realize that they have to do something because, you know, we need a a free press that's strong and willing to push back right now. 
um, and we're not getting it. We do. I, I was uh, speaking with your uh, fellow fellow at Media Matters, Eric Bollert, uh, uh, some weeks ago, and, and I suggested, that hey, maybe this is all good. Maybe if all of these reporters lose their access... Uh, you know, if, if Jim Acosta is kicked out for six months or whatever uh, Gingrich suggested, um, maybe if they lose their access, they'll actually have to go out and do some actual reporting instead of just sitting around and waiting to repeat what high level sources want them to repeat. Is that a possible upside or or am I just looking for anything at this point, Matt? I mean, I, I think that could happen. Um, you know, we saw certainly during... Um during the campaign, we saw outlets that were banned still continue to do good reporting without that level of access. Mm-hmm. I, I think the question is really, you know, if CNN reporters get banned from covering the White House, is CNN still going to, you know, do live coverage of Trump events? Hey, that, he, That's the real question. <laughs> because certainly Trump is not going to turn the cameras away. He may turn the reporters away, but he will certainly not turn away the opportunity to be on camera. So yep. are they going to use that as leverage to say, you, you cannot do this or else uh, we will stop covering your events? They, they didn't do that. They, they wouldn't do that, you know, sort of in solidarity for one, each, for one another during the campaign. Um, we'll see what happens if they still take those live feeds uh, now that he's going to be president. Well, hey, arguably during the campaign, you could do it. You could pick and choose who you covered, which candidates you covered. But now... He will be the president of the United States. And when the president of the United States speaks, that's news. And, you know, I don't even know how they would justify uh, saying, well, we're not going to cover it uh, at this point. But I think there's a lot that we don't know that we'll find out. Uh, Trump, as you write at the end of your article, will be sworn in as president in eight days. And you warn things can still get much much worse. Uh, I'm afraid you're right. Matt Gertz, uh, really appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, hope you'll come back in the future. Uh, Matt Gertz, Senior Fellow at Media Matters for America. You can find them and his work at MediaMatters.org and on the Twitters at simply Matt Gertz. Really appreciate you joining us today, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. All right, a quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report and... An actual cover-up discovered at the presidential inauguration coming up next week. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
All right, Desi Doyen, uh, we should get to our Green News report here yes. because I've got some news uh, thereafter on a cover-up at the presidential inauguration. Uh, so let's get to it, right? Yes. Our latest Green News report. The science behind the clear connection is not is not conclusive. ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson gets a grilling on climate change during Senate confirmation hearings. Court orders Exxon to comply with AG's investigation into climate science denial. Six Volkswagen executives indicted in emissions cheating scandal. Plus... In just eight years, we've halved our dependence on foreign oil. We've doubled our renewable energy. We've led the world to an agreement that has the promise to save this planet. President Obama appeals to reason on climate in his farewell address. All of that appealing reason and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Our children won't have time to debate the existence of climate change. They'll be busy dealing with its effects. Actually, they may be busy sacrificing their firstborn to Empress Ivanka. Thanks, Obama. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a protester at the Rex Tillerson confirmation hearings, I think might have had the most succinct expression of this moment. Please don't put Exxon in charge of the State Department. Protect our children and grandchildren. Exxon is about to be in charge of the State Department. Yeah, it, it sure does look like that could be the case on the first day of his Senate confirmation hearing to be the next Secretary of State. The CEO of ExxonMobil, Rex Tillerson, on Wednesday responded to pointed questions from Democratic senators about his beliefs on climate science and policy with a subtle level of denial. Unlike President-elect Donald Trump, Tillerson says he accepts climate change is occurring, but he said the science was, quote, not conclusive, whether it's man-made and downplayed the global scientific consensus. The risk of climate change does exist. The consequences of it could be serious enough that action should be taken. The type of action uh, is, seems to be where the largest areas of debate uh, exist in the public discourse. The increase in the greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere are having an effect. Our ability to predict that effect is very limited. Oh, well, it's happening, but we can't predict what it's going to cause, so let's just not do anything about it. Yeah, except the predictions of climate scientists are already coming true earlier than predicted. The Pentagon and the intelligence community have warned that climate change is a major threat to national security and international stability, but to acknowledge that climate change is man-made would require Tillerson to acknowledge Exxon's role in causing it. And of course, Exxon itself does acknowledge climate change, but they're incredibly vague about it. Yeah, and speaking to that, Democratic Senator and former vice presidential candidate Candidate Tim Kaine of Virginia politely grilled Tillerson about reports that Exxon's own scientists confirmed man-made climate change back in the 1970s, but that the company instead misled the public and its investors for decades and paid millions to fund climate denial propaganda outlets. I'm asking you whether those allegations are true or false. The question would be have to, have to be put to ExxonMobil. And let me ask you, do you lack the knowledge to answer my question or are you refusing to answer my question? A little of both. 
Yeah, a little of both because his company is uh, facing some very serious investigations on this front. Yep. On the same day, Exxon lost its latest court battle to block the investigation undertaken right now by Massachusetts Attorney General Mara Healey. The court ordered ExxonMobil to comply in turning over 40 years worth of the company's internal documents on climate change. She's investigating whether Exxon misled its investors, a violation of state law. So you already have this conflict of interest. You've got records. Tillerson asked a question about his own company in this hearing for his uh, potential appointment as secretary of state, and he can't even talk about Exxon. I think that's just a taste of the conflicts of interest we're going to see from this administration for years. Meanwhile, in other news, Volkswagen on Wednesday pled guilty to three criminal charges for intentionally rigging its cars to cheat on U.S. emissions regulations. Six high-ranking executives were also indicted on criminal charges for their roles in the scandal. The German carmaker will pay $4.3 billion in civil and criminal penalties, including violations of the Clean Air Act. Finally, President Obama used his farewell address as president on Tuesday night to remind Americans of the progress that the nation has already made on climate and clean energy and to give one last call to rise above the deniers. To simply deny the problem not only betrays future generations, it betrays the essential spirit of this country, the essential spirit of innovation and practical problem solving that guided our founders. Yeah, maybe so, but denial makes a whole lot more money for the fossil fuel industries. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your... Green News Report. Thanks for all the lovely delight I found in your embrace. I'm thankful though I know it's ending all. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. At least for the planet, I'm sorry to say. Well, I think for all of us. (laughs) All of us alive on planet Earth, yes, it's, uh, it's a problem. Yeah. If you compare one president to the incoming, yes, I guess it is definitely a problem. Uh, Okay, uh, well, let me, uh, two quick stories here before we go. Uh, One, the head of the D.C. National Guard, Major General Errol Schwartz, said on Friday that he has been ordered removed from his command, effective January 20 at 12.01 p.m., just as Donald Trump is sworn in as president. Schwartz's forced departure comes amidst um, uh, the presidential inauguration that he has spent months helping plan alongside the D.C. police, the U.S. Secret Service, and other top district officials. He'll turn over command to an interim in power trans- as power transfers from one president to the next and just before the inaugural parade marches down Pennsylvania Avenue. The timing is extremely unusual, says Schwartz in an interview on Friday, confirming a memo announcing his ouster that was obtained by The Washington Post. Uh, During the inauguration, Schwartz would command not only the members of the D.C. Guard, but also an additional 5,000 unarmed troops that are sent in from across the country to help. He would oversee military air support as well, protecting the nation's capital during the inauguration. 
so he says he would oversee duties in a command center and then depart at 12.01 p.m., retiring from the Army. Just dismissed like that by Donald Trump. He has uh, no idea why he has not been told why he was asked to step down. But he says, I'm a soldier. I'm a presidential appointee. Therefore, the president has the power to remove me. He says he's following orders. He has no regrets. Well, you know, Trump does seem to prefer people who don't have any experience. So get rid of the guy who's done it for <laughs> yeah. the last several decades. Yeah, he has uh, started his military career in 1976 by enlisting in the Guard. He's the head of the D.C. National Guard, at least until Friday at 12.01 p.m. And he's being told to take a hike. Uh, OK, other than that, uh, this cover-up has been revealed by AP. Workers preparing for the inauguration on January 20 have taped over the name of the company that has long supplied portable restrooms for major outdoor events in the nation's capital. The Virginia-based company calls itself the Washington area's top provider of portable toilet rentals, but the name apparently strikes too close to home for inaugural organizers. The name of the company? Don's Johns. <laughs> Workers have placed, apparently have placed blue tape over the company name on dozens of portable restrooms and being installed near the Capitol for the inauguration. The company's name is clearly visible upon close inspection, but it's blocked for a wide angle view by a uh, by a TV or a still camera. Robert Weghorst, the chief operating officer for Don's Johns, said he does not he didn't know that the logos were covered up until the AP reported on it, lighting up his company's switchboard and blowing up its social media accounts. He says, we don't know why it's being done. We didn't tell someone to do it. He said, we're very proud to have our names on the units. And Donald Trump, Don Trump, is yes. not interested. No, apparently they need to cover that up. That's Don's how sensitive Johns. they are. Or at least somebody is. Don's Johns has provided portable toilets for many large events in Washington, including the 2009 and 2013 inauguration ceremonies for uh, for Barack Obama, according to uh, Weghorst. No logos were taped over during those events, he said. Sensitive much, Donnie? My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Matt Gertz from MediaMatters.org. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime you like for free at Bradblog.com. They're all there. They're all also over at iTunes and other fine podcasting sites. We hope you'll uh, put in a good review for us at all of those places to make it a little bit easier for everyone else to find us. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And you can find, follow, share, share us and everything else you'd like to do to us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.